Hey guys, I'm Jackie Brubaker, your host of That Girl, the podcast. I'm an author, performer, two-time Emmy Award winner, human relationship specialist, and founder of the wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. Each week, I bring on inspiring people and experts in their field to have powerful, motivational, and enlightened conversations about relationships, self-development, and how you can live your most authentic life. Follow us for daily updates on myself and the podcast at That Girl the Podcast and at Jackie Brubaker on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and our Patreon page. While you're at it, make sure to check out my new wellness website, loveyouevenmore.com. If you're wanting to dig into developing more self-worth, be healthier about relationships, and learn how to date smarter, go to loveyouevenmore.com and follow us on Instagram at loveyouevenmore. Welcome, Janice Farmichella, to That Girl, the podcast. Janice has actually been on the show before for dating and relationship advice and breakup advice in particular, but today we're kind of shifting gears and we're going to talk about her journey in the Mormon church and leaving the Mormon church. A lot of stuff has been said about the Mormon church, especially recently. There's been a lot of different shows out there, a lot of talk throughout the years about this very controversial church and Mm -hmm. people's opinions of it and people leaving it. So we are going to talk all about your history, your leaving, and where you're at now. So thank you for coming on to talk about this. I'm very excited to talk to you. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I am a breakup and dating coach, but I'm also an ex-Mormon with kind of, you know, all of our stories are so unique and everyone has a crazy story. Um, (laughs) Yeah, mine is, mine is for sure. And it was such a huge part of my life leaving and growing up in it that I appreciate that I get to share my story with others from time to time. So thank you for your interest. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on. So let's just talk about, because we've, we've kind of skimmed the surface of your history with it, but your family is very deep in the Mormon church, Mm -hmm. like pioneer days. So yeah. Talk about sort of what it was like growing up as a kid and being told about your heritage and about what we believe in and sort of what that felt like as a child first. Sure. And yes, I am. I believe we're six generations now of Mormons. And so um, I am from pioneer stock, meaning that, you know, my ancestors came across the plains and They're settled Utah. <laughs> yes, yeah, for sure. We we still are very, you know, strong work work ethic, very, you know, resilient, very, you know, set in our ways and possibly because of um, you know, this heritage of mine. So, um I had ancest- ancestors who did um found Utah um polygamous background as well, which is something that I think is super interesting about my family. And I was actually born in Utah, which is, for whatever reason, not something that I mention often. But, um, you know, that's where my parents met. And, however, I consider myself to be a Mesa Mormon because my parents did move us to Arizona when I was very, very young. So I grew up in Mesa, Arizona, Mm -hmm. which some of your listeners may not know that outside of Utah, it's believed that the Mesa area has, you know, the largest population of Mormons per capita. And so very, you know, I definitely grew up with mostly Mormons around me. I hardly had any ex-Mormon friends for sure. Mm-hmm. I think though that it didn't completely hit me that my family was a little different until I was in kindergarten. And That's I mean, that is very young. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> <laughs> I should phrase that differently. I realized for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> and that is because Mormons are very strict about keeping the Sabbath. On mm-hmm. Sunday, we don't do anything. And I was invited to a birthday party when I was about five, and it was meant to be on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I go home with the invitation and my parents had to tell me that I couldn't go. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was absolutely devastated. <laughs> and then from about then on out, I really only had non-Mormons in my life very sporadically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of our like healthcare providers, for instance, were LDS and my family was very, very active. And I actually even went to a high school that was run by a group of Mormon ex-homeschoolers who then started a school that I went to. 
Oh, wow. So just mm-hmm. it is ingrained <laughs> in everything. Yes. Yeah, very much so. It was really the only thing that I that I knew and definitely as far as what we were told we believe, you know, this was we went to church, you know, multiple times a week and I think one of the things that I grew up with was just kind of this sense or at least being told <laughs> to develop the sense that we are definitely the one true church and mm-hmm. that everybody else either isn't aware of us or hasn't accepted um, the gospel yet. And, but that's, you know, part of our mission is to help others, um, accept it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's hard, you know, as a kid, um, personally speaking, I just remember when I was, uh, I think in kindergarten as well, actually being like, I, I went to Sunday school for the first time because the school I was going to was like, you had to go. And I'm like, oh, okay. But again, I'm like five or six. I'm not really that old. (laughs) You know, I'm pretty young. But I remember going to Sunday school and my little Sunday school teacher teaching me about, you know, different, like a story in the Bible. And let's just say it was, you know, I don't know, um, the parting of the Red Seas or something. Or that's a good one. That's a good one. Right. You know, Noah's Ark or something. And I was like, and I do, I really do remember this, like this little sassy child. I was like, yeah, but that didn't actually happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just a story. And I remember her saying, no, that happened. That's the miracle of God. And I'm like, but no, 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 no. Like that's impossible. So I, I think sometimes for kids, you know, they can be aware of like something isn't quite right. And I would also like to just say, as we're starting this conversation, like I very deeply believe in God. I'm just not religious. I'm very, yeah. very spiritual. And it's a huge part of my existence, but um, not religious. So, okay. So yeah, the Sunday thing, that does suck. <laughs> that mm-hmm. really sucks. Yeah, Sunday. And then also once you kind of get, you you know, begin to begin um, your initiation into... Um, you know, adulthood, you start going also on Wednesday nights. And then, you know, there's all sorts of activities during the week as well. Um, So yeah, like I said, it was really my entire life, you know, not to mention that I did go to the school as well. Yeah. And I always, I did kind of take it for granted that I would do it forever. However, when I was maybe in the very beginning of the initiation, like 12 or 13, I did start to feel a lot more cynical about things than I noticed my peers were. Mm -hmm. And then also I noticed that I always had this really strong desire to have a career, which Mm -hmm. I know for certain, at least my experience was the other girls around me, I didn't hear them saying those things. And so I had seeds planted from a pretty young age that something was a little off. Mm-hmm. was my experience. Let's let's definitely talk about the difference between men and women in this church because this is a big mm-hmm. thing. This is a yeah. big part of why people leave and a big part of why there's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of different aspects of it and we're going to cover it. Um, so why don't you explain quickly too, if you're just jumping into this podcast <laughs> and you're like, I don't really know much about Mormons. I kind of just think they're polygamists and that's kind of what I know. Mm-hmm. Let's in like a nutshell... Um, explain what Mormons believe and maybe a couple of those, quote, stranger, weirder things that people like remember, like from like the musical, you know, the the Mormon musical, like, oh, the magic underwear, like people <laughs> may have heard that before. Maybe let's kind of touch on some of those smaller things before we really get into the meat of the church. Sure. So Mormons believe in the plan of salvation, which is um, baptism when you are eight into the Mormon faith, and then following all of the tenets of the Mormon faith in order to get to the highest level of heaven, which is the celestial kingdom. Mm -hmm. And so that also involves paying tithing, following the word of wisdom, which is our dietary code, getting married in the temple and being an active Mormon slash Latter-day Saint. And right. therefore, with all of that, when you, when you die, you'll be not only in the celestial kingdom, but with your family again, which is, you know, one of the interesting things about the faith is that they believe you're, you know, not only reunited with your family, but only the ones who remained faithful. And then you have, you know, the possibility of kind of developing your own um, kingdom together as a family. Right. And I think maybe people have heard this before, too, is that um, you can actually become the god of your own yeah, exactly. universe, essentially, mm-hmm. yeah. which is a man's sort of situation. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So 
one of the things I will say to give some props to the the church too, and mm-hmm. maybe we'll start with women talking about women, but like there is such a strong sense of female camaraderie with the Relief Society is what it's called. And there's a lot of good that's done and a lot of help and care and money and food given out to people who really need it within the church and even outside, um, which is beautiful because the main thing of the church is all about service to others, which Mm -hmm. is beautiful and wonderful. Um, So let's talk about women in the church first. And, or do you want to talk about men? Which one do you think is a better one to start with? (laughs) We can start, we can talk about women for sure. Uh And I guess my experience was growing up, there was a very, very strong emphasis on motherhood. There was a very strong emphasis on um, domestic skills. Um, It was very much kind of ingrained in us that the, you know, the highest thing that we could do with our lives would be to stay home and rear rear children. Mm -hmm. I will also say, you know, purity culture is a huge Mm. part of of Mormon culture. And that was something else that was really just brought up constantly. Um, Some of your listeners might be aware that Mormons follow a very, very strict dress code. And that is um, partially so that we, you know, identify and stand out as, as Mormons. It's kind of, you know, an oath that you that you take when you get baptized and certainly when you get married that you do wear the what people call special underwear or magic underwear um and that is you know a covenant that you take as, as a mormon that that you would do this you don't start wearing that until you do get married and that is partially also so that you remain um clothed with your shoulders covered your collarbone covered and your knees covered interesting i actually no Mormons who were wearing it before they were married. Is that part of it? That's um, So this is a, one of the differences between men and women is oh. that women will typically wear it for the first time after or on the day they get married. Okay. Men will typically, will, will always wear it when they go on their mission. When I was growing up, a man went on their mission when he was 19 and a woman could go on a mission at 21. Okay. And so, and that's a part of the, co- a part of the mission is that you go through the temple for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so that's a covenant that you take when you go through the temple for the first time. So okay. some men would be wearing it and not be married. Well, all okay. men would, but yes, not women. And so they would just continue to wear that after their yep. mission. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's, um, let's keep talking about women. We'll talk about the temple too, because that's a big thing. Okay. Um, so there is this huge emphasis, like you said, on being mm-hmm. mothers and being married. Um, people know pretty much that, you know, Mormons get married very young because they are saving themselves for marriage. And it's very hard to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. also, you know, they want to have as many kids as they can. Mm-hmm. And that's just a big, big part of it because essentially, like you said, you all want to be in the celestial kingdom together and do all of the the different steps together. So we'll be together. Um what did you feel as a girl growing up and as a young woman being, cause you're, you're starting to feel some rebellion towards like 12 or 13. Yes. What were you feeling about maybe being pushed into getting married early or, or all of it? You know, just what were your feelings? I can say, say that the first thing that jumps out at me is because I did really want to have a career. I was very, very academic, very scholarly. I had lots of goals and ambitions as far as college and career goes. And that was one thing that looking back really stands out is that I really did not have a lot of people who were supporting me. To be completely honest, I really, I didn't feel it at the time. And looking back, I can, because, you know, now I know how people outside of the church live and, you know, rear children. And so I can like, uh, you know, with certainty say that people were not, you know, my elders were not supporting me in pursuing these things. Absolutely. And I will also say, you know, there was a lot of talk and a lot of questioning of me if I would continue to work after I had children. And this, this, these are things that people were asking me when I was in high school, mm-hmm. you know, like really wanting to make sure that even though I wanted to have a career and wanted to do these things, that I would, you know, somewhere down the line, I, you know, I suppose give it all up, which yeah. it's kind of, a, you know, it's, it's a weird thing to ask a teenage girl who has, you know, lofty ambitions for her future, yeah. but that was of great concern to the, to the grown-ups around me. 
for sure. Right, right. Okay, so let's get into the boys. Mm-hmm. Um, the boys do go on a mission earlier. And also for people who don't know what the mission in, entails, what what is a mission? <laughs> sure. And I can't wait to find out why it is that you're so well-versed in, in Mormonism. Um, <laughs> yes, this is a big, big part of our culture. And this is something that as much as women were taught that, you know, we are kind of the gatekeepers of of morality and boys' morality and rearing children. Boys, what they had kind of pounded into them was the importance of serving a mission, which is a two-year calling to proselytize. Some boys slash men stay in the States and some are sent overseas. As I was saying, when I grew up, um, boys went when they were 19. Today, they actually go when they're 18. So that's a that's a fairly recent change and also a, a big change as well. Mm. And yes, like I said, it's two years long. And when I was growing up, my absolute understanding, and I can back this up with plenty of, you know, doctrine and statements made by church leaders, is that it was a hundred percent compulsory, like, a, like not an option. <laughs> and certainly if, if I knew anyone who either chose not to go, First of all, that was very rare when I was growing up, or someone I knew who had, who was older who hadn't gone. Mm-hmm. It was big stigma. Mm, really? So there mm-hmm. was stigma if you're older and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go now. Uh, no, I mean, I'm not really sure all the rules and everything, but basically, if you knew someone in your ward, could mm-hmm. be a married man, could be a leader, even mm-hmm. rare, but could be. It was always known that that man had not gone when he wow. was younger. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it was, yeah, you know, whispers and, you know, yeah. definitely, you know, people, people knew, like I said, there was a stigma against it. How did you feel about that? I mean, essentially these kids are like out trying to get people to become Mormons. They're knocking on doors. We've all yeah. probably had a Mormon knock on a door and be like, Hey, let me tell you about this book. Mm-hmm. Like, how did you feel when people weren't going? I mean, growing up, this was just something that I completely took for granted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I can only think of a couple of people I knew growing up who chose not to go. And it was, you know, everybody in the congregation knew about it. And certainly I, you know, thought, until I left, I was young when I left, but until I left, I definitely just knew that this is what they were supposed to do. And yeah, yeah I suppose if someone had chosen not to go, I might have also I definitely found it shocking, if not, maybe had judged it a bit. I know until I left, I certainly had ambitions to marry a return missionary, is what we call it. And that was definitely, you know, as far as women being the gatekeepers of men's morality, we were absolutely um, taught that you must only have ambitions to marry a man who has served a mission. Wow. And um, so I guess, and I certainly would have assumed that I would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about when you actually were like, I can't do this anymore. How old were you? Mm-hmm. And how did that really start bubbling up? Because clearly at 13, you're starting to think about stuff. But like, when was this like, I got to go, I have to go? Yeah. So I did begin to have questions and just a little bit of rebellion when I was 13. I definitely struggled with what we call the law of chastity, which is that I had a normal teenage libido and, you know, would I struggled a lot with, you know, like making out with my boyfriend and getting in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. And however, I would, you know, repent. We do have confessional as Mormons. And so, and then I would be just very, very dedicated, but I kind of went back and forth all throughout high school. Mm-hmm. which was very hard for my family because of how prominent they were in the in the community. Mm-hmm. But really what it came down to was these career ambitions that I had. And I, you know, by all, um, there was all, all, all the proof in the world that I would go to, you know, a very prestigious university and that's absolutely what I wanted to do. I was, I struggled with depression as a teenager and feeling trapped and Mm -hmm. wanting to, you know, go out of state to college. And then I discovered that my parents wouldn't permit that. 
Oh, wow. And so where I am thinking I'm going to, you know, go to like New York or Boston, you know, teenagers yeah. always have romantic ideas about back East, at least from so true. East. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was all about the New York City fantasies. Me too. And so I start to, you know, get my applications together. And then I realized, well, my parents just sat down and told me, you know, like, don't go on. We're not going to, you know, pay or support you to do anything, but going to uh, BYU, unless you want to stay home and go to a local school. Well, I mean, that wasn't any more of an option for me than, yeah. than anything. I mean, that would probably be the last thing, that, you know, that I'd wanted to do. Um, right. But then, you know, I just realized all this time that I had been growing up saying these things about wanting to have these, you know, these visions for my life and do something big. I don't know if people didn't take me seriously or that's just not what they wanted for me. Um, however, I did end up getting into BYU. Um, I went to the Idaho campus. Okay. And just from the very beginning, I just knew that this wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. You know, it was very strict. It was very rigid. It was, you know, just everybody conforming. It, there's a very strong um, culture of surveillance, which some of your listeners may know at, at BYU. And it was just, I just felt watched constantly. Wow. Um, I had struggled with depression in high school and my mental health went from like, you know, trying to manage it to just like plummeting down a yeah. hill. <laughs> like you can't believe, yeah. like just in the danger zone, big time mm-hmm. and, you know, self-harming. And that's just because I just realized, you know, my, my, I just felt trapped. And I just thought, is this what my life is going to be? And I just, I couldn't get things together at all. My grades, I had been a, a remarkable student in high school. And, you know, I was like at risk of um, being on suspension because I wasn't passing classes. Yeah. And I think I stayed a year and a half and I tried so hard. I was involved with student council and like very well known on campus and put in a, an effort. Right. <laughs> but then what, what it came down to is just, I was so miserable and I just wasn't, I mean, I could barely um, function because I was mm-hmm. just so, so depressed. Yeah. And I also realized then that I didn't feel like people weren't taking it seriously. And here I am, you know, bordering on, you know, self-destruction, like I said, you know, lots of self-harm, things that people should have seen and they didn't. And I had to actually take it upon myself to put my foot down and say that I wasn't going to go back Mm -hmm. and that I was so unhappy that I couldn't do it anymore and devastated my community, devastated my family. And um, that's kind of what led to the end because, you know, not only did no one support me, I actually like got kicked out of my parents' house, um, you know, had to just kind of fend for myself for a really long time. Wow. I, you know, I just, I had clarity though, um, even as a 18, 19, 20 year old girl, really that, you know, my life depended on getting out. That is such a hard time. It is so hard to go from high school to college and whatever you were dealing with in high school into like a college that you do not want to be at. And it is very, you know, there is surveillance and you can get in trouble very easily. Yes. And, and I just, did for, I mean, I look back and sometimes I don't even understand why, why I got in trouble and like why people cared about like very, very small things. And it was just very stressful constantly yeah. and just hard to think clearly. And, you know, I'm from Arizona, this is Idaho, just even that was hard because yeah. I'd never even been in snow before. And, and like I said, instead of any of the elders around me trying to help, it just felt like people were just pushing harder and harder for me to um, conform and, you know, getting in trouble and Mm -hmm. just instead of anyone stepping in and being like, this girl needs help. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that's a huge part of, unfortunately, that culture is that it, it is all about conforming and it's about people making you feel shamed to, to not, you know, go with the the flow of everything to not mm-hmm. want all of this. Like what's wrong with you because you don't want this. This is the most Very important much. thing you should need, mm-hmm. you should want, um, and to want something different. So I'm so glad that you were younger when you did end up getting out. Um, and 
what was kind of life like after, did you go to a different college? Did you finish yeah. college? Yeah. yeah, I did. I, I have also a master's. Um, yeah. I, I basically, you know, just went out on my own and, um, I did, you know, I wasn't, um, supporting myself financially when I was going to BYU, but then I, you know, got a job and got my own place. And I, I still don't know how I did it. <laughs> I mean, adulting is hard enough for me, you know, <laughs> 20 years later, um, yeah. but just super, super determined. And, you know, somehow, uh, my family, you know, agreed or my parents agreed to still support me with my tuition um, as long as I paid all of my living expenses, yeah. um, which I did. And I was on a roll, all of it. I met someone. We ended up getting very serious. Um, I should mention that about two and a half, three years into this part of the story where I'm actually going to ASU mm -hmm. and again, involved in all of these things, um, on a roll, I was, you know, my, my school at one point, like paid for me to go to the United Arab Emirates and represent the college and a conference Aww. they had there. So like definitely thriving in the way right. that I had always pictured myself to do. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, about three years in, I actually got disinherited for um, leaving the church. <laughs> and oh, so, wow. uh, and that's kind of, you know, the next chapter of the whole leaving Mormonism story Let's is that yeah. um, I had stopped going um, for all of the reasons that I mentioned. And I was very serious with this man who was also going to ASU mm -hmm. and, but happy, <laughs> you know, yeah. I was, I don't even think I was going to therapy anymore. You know, yeah. I was, and I, I love therapy, but I'm just saying I had gotten to the point where I wasn't getting, you know, like such regular treatment for yeah. my depression. Um, but I just, I, there was no way I was going to go back. There, I mean, it was just impossible. Um, and so, yeah, I just, uh, well, not I just, <laughs> my parents came to me one day and just said that I, I was, you know, they can tell that I'm not interested in the faith anymore and you know they've tried to get me to go back and it's obvious that I'm not going to and that I was being yeah disinherited and cut off and not only disinherited but also not having access to the resources that I had previously to pay for my tuition right and so were, were they saying we don't want to have a relationship with you or they were what exactly were they saying by disinheriting yeah you don't have access to these funds anymore okay. and okay. you can figure this out on your own. And they, wow. and you know, they did not say we don't want to have a relationship with you. However, okay. I was devastated and sure. furious. <laughs> and scared too. I mean, oh, yes. Shit. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And this was, you know, both the beginning of me resigning from the faith because I had been staying, I had been in it, um, technically, you know, yeah. like what they would call on the books or on the records is what we would mm -hmm. say as Mormons. Um, and so that is when I decided to have my name removed from the records because I thought it's kind of evil that a church, you know, <laughs> encourages parents to do this to their child. Right. Um, right. And then also from that point to today, it's been rocky at best with my entire family, if not long periods of estrangement, which that's unfortunately where we're at today. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And that is kind of part of a lot of different religions where they really will just, or cultures, they will just cut you off and... And not I'm, look back is the crazy mm -hmm. thing. I do. I'm. I am very involved with the ex-Mormon community um, in Colorado and, and, and nationwide. And there are you know, I just, I definitely want to say that I know some ex-Mormons whose family have been supportive and loving yeah. and accepting. That has not been my experience <laughs> at all. Um, but I do, I know that it's important because some um, people's Mormon story is that their family was awesome. So yeah, that's great. I mean, and that's so good. I love that you're involved with, with helping ex-Mormons. We will absolutely get into there. Um, I'm going to tell you my story real quick so yes. that you're not like, oh my God. <laughs> but um, so that we can start talking about the bigger issues like abortion and merit, all of this stuff. Um, so my fun story. <laughs> so my parents, okay, hold on. Let me, let me start. My I'm mom, so ready for this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so my mom is from New York and they moved to LA when she was like 10 and a Mormon missionary knocked on the door 
And my mom had been raised kind of, you know, they, they lived in like Manhattan. So it was like, a lot of Jewish people, a lot of Catholic people, a lot of like all the peoples, right? So like my mom is just kind of <laughs> yes. like everything. And um, my grandmother like talked to this missionary and was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I think I might want to check this out. I like the whole no drinking thing. And this might be something really interesting for us to like look into. Mm-hmm. So my mom, so they joined. My grandfather didn't want to join. He was like, no, thanks. <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, you know, if you girls want to like hang out, okay, sure. No one took it seriously, um, but they mm. went to church. And my mom grew up in the church and ended up getting married at like 19, uh, not to my father, but her first husband uh, got divorced, you know, years later. That's when she did meet my dad, I think around 27. And my dad had not been raised Mormon. He had been raised, raised Christian science or scientist, mm. and he was in a sort of, uh, his father had just died kind of, you know, our student thereafter, and he was sort of in a growing phase, looking looking spiritually phase, sure. and he landed in the Mormon Church as well. And they found each other and got married and had me. Now, and were in, they married in the co- so? Were you born in the covenant? Were they married uh, in the temple? They were not married in the temple, okay. but they were definitely married. They were married within the church, not the gotcha. actual. Church, okay, but yeah, because so, if he was a convert, they yes. might have had to wait or something. Okay. So they have me, I'm in the records, didn't know that. And um, I am absolutely not in this church whatsoever because shortly thereafter, maybe around two or three for me, they're like, this is crazy. We're done. Yay. <laughs> like, we um, gotta go. <laughs> uh, my wow. gra- yeah, my grandma stays in it because mm. she's sort of like a, Sure, I'll go to church on like Christmas and Easter, but she's not really in the church. She has mm-hmm. like missionaries come and see her, the Relief Society. You know, they were lovely to her, especially when she was much, much older. Um, very helpful. So again, I will always just just shout out to the Relief Society. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I just remember no one talked about it. Oh. I was raised to just be very spiritual, and I am. And I just remember thinking, oh, you know, like the Mormon people that I've met have been so nice. I've been there for Christmas. I actually sang at the church on a couple of different holidays when I was like an adult. Oh, um, yeah, like that's unusual. I super, no, this is a very unusual story. Um, <laughs> super did not have any sort of qualms about the Mormons. Nothing, because they're all really some great people. They're all some. Not so great people too. Yes. But <laughs> there are the ones that I had met have been lovely, right? Just mm-hmm. lovely. Um, so I don't think much about the Mormon charts at all. I really don't. And then I met a very like a boyfriend of mine. We had a long-term relationship. We go on our first date, and I do not know he's Mormon. Right. I do know that we went to high school together, but I don't remember him. He remembers me, which I was a little notorious in high school. <laughs> girl love it so little much. little famous um and we're sitting down and i'm like oh what did you want to get to drink and he's like oh i don't drink i'm like oh and i'm not even joking i actually think it's because he's sober i'm like oh are you sober like mm-hmm. i was almost excited <laughs> like okay and he's like no no i it's my religion and he's like no i'm mormon and i'm like oh my my grandma's mormon <laughs> Okay. I have no bad feelings whatsoever. (laughs) None. You're lucky. (laughs) I was, I was so sheltered. Like my parents really sheltered me on purpose. They're like, no, 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 (laughs) no. Well, I've heard that this is one of the hard things about growing up in it and then leaving is that so many people who didn't grow up in it will say that to you. Oh, but they seem so nice, Uh you know, and that Uh must have been your experience, but all the Mormons I know are great, Mm. (laughs) you know, Mm. which is really difficult, but all right, go on. It's very so, but don't worry, I'm on your side, girl. I'm on. Your side. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, for the ones that were great to me, they actually continued to be great and they were lovely. So, no qualms about that. But, long story short, I end up getting into this relationship with this person. And at the very, very, very beginning, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, wait, you're this. And then that's happening. And then and I just, it was not a healthy relationship, first okay. of all. And it's not fair to that person to talk about exactly what went wrong. But that's when I started really understanding the church and what it really was about. Yeah. And what was really interesting was that 
there were so many big sections like the having your own universe as a man mm-hmm. um, that my mom hadn't even been taught. Sure. Like yep. she really didn't know about a lot of this stuff and she had grown up in it. And I was like, oh my God. And I'm hearing everything now. I'm getting all of the, all of the news, all of the stuff. And also all of the restrictions, like, you know, it's fine. Like Sundays, okay, cool. Like we won't do anything. But sometimes it's like, shit, we just need groceries. Like yeah. it's Sunday. Like we've got to go. Or like my, you know, I don't have a sister, but like if I had a sister, my sister's birthday is today. We have to go to her birthday. Like that I will say would probably have been allowed. I mean, certainly people have birthdays, but mm-hmm. within in the Mormon church, you know, you celebrate as a family. And so Right. I mean, you'd still just celebrate as a family, but yeah. certainly if you had siblings and family members, they could go to a birthday. But the thing yeah. is that you can't spend any money and you'd have to do it at the house. And that's the thing. And that's mm-hmm. exactly where it's, st- and that's how it started. That's when all of the rules really started kind of becoming very hindering for us just to even have a relationship. Um, in general, right? So mind you, the sex thing was a whole other topic. And I was like, oh, whoa, I whoa, whoa, I wish whoa, we whoa. could talk about that because I bet, especially at what you guys were in your early 20s. Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> we were in our early 30s. Oh, so gotcha. Oh. I, yeah. So <laughs> I had had practically multiple marriages because I'm a serial monogamist. And I'm like, wait, I'm sorry, you you can't what? Oh, so, and again, this is at that age. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little crazy. So the thing that I just remember, and again, because I'm not trying to throw this person down you know, the river or anything like that, mm-hmm. um, is that there was a lot of manipulation, a lot of manipulation. Yeah. And I had never felt so wronged about just being a normal woman, just a normal person living her normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say one thing he was like, don't you just want to be meek? And I was like, Me? oh, meek. <laughs> meek. What? Totally. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. my God. I'm like, yeah. do you even know who I am? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there were a lot of, you know, hindrances and mm-hmm. the thing, the thing that made it such an unhealthy relationship was because obviously he was, trying to stay incredibly devout. And I was like, you need to be with someone like you. I do not want to be in this relationship. And he just wouldn't leave, right? So it was very unhealthy. It eventually did end, thank God. Um, But it was so, it was so, oh my God, angering to Mm -hmm. start learning more and more about how men treat women, how women are viewed in the church, how men are viewed in the church, how men are brought up and what they're they're told that they're literal gods. Yeah. And that that's they're going to be gods of their own universe. It's so and, funny that that stands out to people because still to oh. this day, I don't know, it just doesn't seem that weird to me <laughs> because <laughs> having just grown up in it, I mean, of everything that, you know, there is about Mormonism, I mean, I don't know. I, I A lot of people do ask me about this and that still has it hasn't stood out to me that people find that specific thing so shocking, but they, they do. I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, also, while we were together, uh, the Mormon church just started calling my number. They were yeah. just like on yeah. the phone with me. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're in, you're in the records. You're in the records. And I was like, take me off the records. And I just, bet you that he had asked them to. I think something yeah. very sneaky was happening. Yes. Um, his parents were also very, I mean, very devout. Very, mm-hmm. very, very devout. Um, so finally, I got a hold of someone at a local, like a local uh, ward to me. And I was like, please, this is my story. I am not in this. I've never been in this church. I don't want to be. Please take me off the records. And at this point, I'm so angry because of the manipulation that I'm experiencing in my relationship that anything connected to that is just so deeply firing me up. And they did. They finally did, which was great. But it's just interesting. And ever, you know, I I listened to a lot of different um, podcasts and read a lot of different, you know, chat rooms on like people leaving the church, mm-hmm. people having like yeah. a sort of spiritual awakening to like, oh my God, did mm-hmm. I, I didn't know any of this stuff. I've been lied to all these yeah. years. Mm-hmm. There's so much uh, 
maybe line isn't quite the word always, but just information with hells. Yeah, and- lots of gaslighting as yes. well. Oh, yeah. so they're they're famous for gaslighting their members. <laughs> right. And I mm. was completely gaslit through my entire relationship. Yes. I will just say this, and maybe this is a little damning, but I do believe that they breed narcissists. I actually mm. read an article yeah. where he or she, oh gosh, I feel like it was a man. Um, was in the church and he wrote anonymously. He's like, I am a sociopath. Like, oh, I've okay. been to the doctor and that I am. And this mm-hmm. church breeds that. They breed yes. narcissists. Especially in men because mm. you're just, you know, brought up to believe that you just have so much authority and power. Yeah. And, you know, I, I did see, I suppose, some narcissism or some very abusive control, especially happening, you know, kind of on the local level with um, local leaders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for for instance, bishops, um, Mm -hmm. there's something that we, you know, refer to in the ex-Mormon community as bishop roulette, because some people had bishops who, you know, were just trying to help their community. And some people had bishops who were absolute monsters who just Mm -hmm. wielded tons of, you know, power and control over their members and over families and who, you know, I, and I definitely would say that I was a a victim of Bishop Roulette. roulette. I still have some fantasy or some revenge fantasies (laughs) because (laughs) I just think that he was just such, yeah, I guess, you know, monster or just, you know, such a um, power hungry man who just that was really his end game in all of my interactions with him was to just see what he could get people to do and also just the sense that he really wanted people to listen to everything that he said and just you know severe consequences if you didn't and I happen to know that this ward for whatever reason has you know consistently chosen men to be bishops Mm -hmm. who are this way and I think it's because people are are used to that type of environment you know that's how your bishop was and so now that you're bishop you're going to do it as well absolutely well let's talk more into that I mean do you want to talk about your stories with this bishop or do you want to share that Yes, definitely. So I, what I will say was my, my experience was, you know, like I said earlier, I did struggle and I put that in quotes because I was taught that I was struggling with the law of chastity when I was doing things that were so healthy and normal. Mm -hmm. And it still makes me a little emotional because of just the shame attached to doing things that any teenage girl, any teenager should do or that it's healthy to do. I mean, and we're talking about making out a, you know, little bit of touching. Mm -hmm. I never had sex until I left the faith. I, I don't even think I had ever like gotten naked with anyone, but you know, the, the the law of chastity is very strict. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can kiss and get away with it but you know you're meant to repent if you french kiss you're you know encouraged not to hold hands and you know certainly the farther you go the more severe the penalties are and really out of all the rules that you can break the law of chastity is you know the most serious sin yeah and so i did things that were pretty normal for a teenage girl but because of you know the environment in which i was raised i would be filled with guilt and like terrifying levels of fear of uh, what I had done and how it was going to, you know, impact my salvation. Um, You know, to the point that I did, you know, I, I made out with someone once and I like couldn't even eat for days because I was so guilt stricken and also just knowing that I had to go and confess and especially my junior and senior year, you know, I had a boyfriend who I was crazy about. And, you know, we did things that any 17-year-old, yep. you know, couple would do. And, you know, I, I, I went and repented kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can get to a point where it's not like you just go and do it and confess and you're, you're forgiven. If you, so in my bishop's eyes, you do it enough times and each time you confess, the penalties are going to get more severe. Mm. And that was in my case, I had gone and repented, you know, maybe the third time in the year or something. And um, he's sitting there like pounding his desk. You just, you know, telling me, you know, how horrible I am and how, you know, I broke my covenants. And at one point, I mean, we're talking, I had made out. And I think this is the thing. He started getting really specific, asking me what I had done. 
and where his hands were and where my hands were and wanting to, I don't know if I can say this on your show, but like wanting to know, he wanted to know, like, for instance, if the guy I had made out with had an erection, which I, I, yeah. And like, you know, if I could feel anything, um, on top of our clothes because we had our clothes on yeah. and very specific you know like did you stimulate simulate sex and yeah. um you're like if we use our tongue and just and to the point where I am like sobbing because I'm just so humiliated and yeah like I said yeah. he's pounding his desk and you know saying that I'm some type of like predator I'm the 17 what? year old girl yeah you're a predator Me, you're yes. a predator mm-hmm <laughs> This is why I get so angry at this trip, I know. guys. This is exact. You're not I, a predator. I, I know that, but it made me feel so gross. Um, and I, it was, I mean, just the amount of shame and the humiliation. And, yeah. um, you know, I was made to tell my parents what had happened. And, um, you know, he's trying to disfellow, disfellowship me from the church. And it was, you know, there's these little isolated incidents that ha- happened to me when I was in high school. It, I mean, it wasn't even like I had a really that much of a pattern of doing it, but he had told me, you know, that there was going to be more consequences the next time. And there certainly were. Well, so if that's not traumatizing enough for a 17 year old, now I meant to not take the sacrament on Sundays and which is, you know, in front of your entire congregation there's really only one reason that you don't take the sacrament and that is if you're being punished, dis- wow. you know, disciplined. So then uh, eventually he undisfellowships me, refellowships me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but were you aware of something called personal progress award? No. So it's basically the equivalent, you know, we used to until past couple of years, the um, teenage boys in Mormonism would go to boy scouts and mm-hmm. the you know, and you're meant to get your eagle scout. Right. Well, they had kind of an equivalent thing for girls. It's called the personal progress. And same thing, you get little medals and rewards uh, the more that you do. And mm-hmm. then in the end, in your senior year, you get the final personal progress. Mm-hmm. And because I, I was quite devout, and you know, despite you know, sinning and, you know, breaking some rules. (laughs) I had gone through, you know, my entire high school years from 12 to 18 working on it. And then when I went my senior year to get the final award, my bishop refused to give it to me. (gasps) Mm -hmm. Oh. So I'm talking like years of work and just to be told. And he, he said, you know, like I, you know, value what you did, but, you know, you haven't kept your... Um, covenants and you don't get it were you just like fuck you like uh I no <laughs> I couldn't I was unconsolable you know could you know cried and but and he you know didn't care and then you know and everybody was you know asking me like what was going on and I'm just like I'm not getting it I guess <laughs> wow mm. the thing that's so wrong about all of this and I know you you know this is just this is such humiliation it's brainwashing you're just being told how bad you are so oh, that yeah. more men in this church can have control over you. And that's really what this is. This is all oh, about completely. control. He was pissed. Like he was like he personally, you know, like offended by what I had done. Um, and I forgot to mention, it just came back to me. Um, I had already been accepted to BYU because mm. I was a senior. He contacted the school. <gasps> mm-hmm. And told them everything and was basically like, I don't know if, you know, like, can we let her go? Um, And I mean, to their credit, you know, if we can say that, they (laughs) did tell him, well, she's confessing and, you know, like repenting and trying to do the right thing. So, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and they did let me go for better or worse because, you know, that's, uh, you know, maybe I'd been better off if they hadn't. But this is, you know, this is just my little story of this Mm -hmm. bishop who, you know, sought to, you know, put this amount of power and control over me and do all of these things to punish me for right. something that was so normal. My bishop and my parents and my elders and my church leaders, like no one should have even known that I was making out with boys, you know, like, yeah. but this was public knowledge. And uh, yeah, he really went out of his way to kind of destroy me too for yeah. what I had done. 
Let's talk about some stuff in the news right now with Roe v. Wade and how bishops are telling, you know, what what if you do get pregnant and you're in the Mormon church, what are they telling girls to do? Yeah, I I would love to talk about this. I definitely consider myself to be a pro-choice activist. I have been ever since I left the church. There was something, yeah. you know, I really was always on fire about, you know, choice politics. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for one thing, I mean, sex outside of marriage is for, forbidden. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, should you choose to have sex and then get pregnant, uh, if you're out of wedlock, you are encouraged to, strongly encouraged to give the baby up for adoption. If you should choose to keep it, there, there are some consequences to that, um, one of which being, you know, let's say you're 17 and decide to keep your child. You would then no longer be able to be permitted to go to Sunday school within your age group or to go to the what we call the mutual um, with your age group. You would be required to start going to Relief Society with, um, you know, the fully adult women. Wow. And I, I do want to point something out because when it comes to Mormonism, people are so often like, well, I heard this and I heard that. Um, but not only was this my experience, but I still study Mormonism. And I had the reason recently to go and actually look this up in their official handbook for leaders. Mm-hmm. And this is what it still says to this day. So this wow. is official policy in, within yeah. the church. That's current. Yeah, I heard that too. Um, I can't even imagine um, having to give your baby up for adoption. I mean, what if you're with your partner and then you the couple? S- they would be encouraged to get married. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yes. just, it's just so backwards to me for the sake of their rules. Um, the other thing that's been a big, huge, you know, topic is homosexuality, which, listen, there are gay people in the church, kids. There's a lot of them. They're just not all out, you know? And the repression that being homosexual in the church, Mm -hmm. there's so much repression and conversion therapies within, like, Christianity in general, um, Mm -hmm. certain aspects of it. I feel, and you had said this when we talked um, before, that, you know, that's really kind of what's breaking this church down. And I'm glad. I mean, sorry, that sounds really harsh, but I'm glad that it's being put on spotlight because this is crazy. So what are your thoughts on all of that? And like, kind of what was it like growing up? Did you know, like gay kids um, that you you were like, you're gay. (laughs) I know you are. Absolutely not. (laughs) No. Um, It's, I was raised to be extremely intolerant of homosexuality and to consider it to be a heinous, like crime against, uh, against humanity. And like a very, I mean, they compared it to I, I don't even know if I want to say it. Like, they okay. compared it to, like, bestiality. And wow. I, yes, and these were the things that we were told. I mean, I this isn't church policy, but, you know, seminary. We, we go to what's basically the equivalent of catechism, but for Mormons. And I had multiple seminary teachers who said that the AIDS crisis was a um, punishment for the gay community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I can't... I know now that there were kids in my high school who were, were gay because I know that some people have come out. Yeah. Um, I will say this, and this might blow your mind, that there was a couple boys in my high school who I know one of them was a bit feminine and the rumors started as, mm-hmm. you know, in all, in all high schools. And one of the rumors started that this particular boy was gay. So much so that it got back to our principal who calls him in to interrogate him about it wow that i mean we're talking this was considered to be something that you could be punished for that your principal could ask you and not like oh hey do you like need support (laughs) no (laughs) no like it's been rumored you know that you're gay is this true yeah um so definitely i you know my experience was just being horrified by it um that being said though as soon as i decided to leave i mean i'm living at this point in Tempe, Arizona, and, you know, going to ASU, and I met gay people just kind of immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my first flatmate that I had when I left the church was 
bisexual. Mm-hmm. And I, it just, you just suddenly throw it off and just realize so quickly, just like I realized I couldn't stay Mormon. I just realized so much of what they had taught was, was absolutely wrong. And that these are just mm-hmm. nice people and that I wasn't horrified by it at all. Yeah. Um, but I do know, I, you know, I, one thing I struggle with today is that a lot of the Mormon people I know tried to put it out there as though they're so tolerant. Um, but that's not how I was raised at, yeah. at all. And, you know, I mm-hmm. think really things started going south for them with Prop 8 and it being discovered that the church had funded, you know, um, the <laughs> the um, anti-Prop 8 um, campaign. And, you know, I'm a lot of people grow up Mormon, but also within society. I didn't have that experience because of, you know, going to all church schools, but Mm -hmm. I do think that it's just something that you can't get away with anymore because so many people, you know, with the growing acceptance of of gay individuals, everybody, you know, knows somebody and, and, and you just, it's not something that you can um, really teach anymore. However, they still do. I mean, church policy is you can't come to church with your partner. Gay couples can get married. Um, You can be kicked out of the church, which happens all the time if you act on homosexual feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really get where they get this tolerance thing because still, you know, to this day, it's um, it's not yeah. allowed. It's something that they punish people over. What is the punishment? So, so first of all, basically the official church doctrine is that having a feeling isn't wrong. Similar okay. perhaps to being a teenager and wanting to make out with your boyfriend. Like it's not the urge to um to be with someone of the same um sex that is wrong. Mm-hmm. What's wrong is acting on it. Wow. Yes. And so if and if you do, I mean similar things than what happened with me. You have to go and confess and then it's kind of up to your bishop to, you know, determine what the what the punishment is. And you know, that could be anything from, okay, you know, now you're forgiven, don't do it again, to mm-hmm. being disfellowship like I was, to, um, you know, having to go to weekly meetings with your bishop, um, encouraged to go to a support group, and then all the way up to being excommunicated if you don't stop. Yeah, it's just, it just feels like they're kind of losing um, holds. You know, they're losing hold of people. And what I thought was always interesting, and maybe it's changed since, but um, what I always thought was interesting was that I was told, like, it's the fastest growing church. (laughs) And I'm like, I know that's not true. Well, like, no, we have all the members. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, two things I'll say is this is very similar. It's also one of the most racist mainstream religions. Oh, yeah, we can talk about that too. Um, And this is very. Okay, so, um, and then I, re- I, I also heard that growing up, and the, the thing that is so important to keep in mind is that the church does not publish or advertise their numbers, yeah. you know, even today, because so many people have left, still no one knows exactly how many people have left because the church keeps that confidential. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, I mean, it's interesting because they want to go out there and publicize that they're the fastest growing religion without any proof. But <laughs> they don't want to say anything about, the, you know, the fastest dwindling <laughs> religion except just that saying that, you know, we can't show our numbers. Our numbers don't indicate that. But yeah. what numbers? Like where? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, with the racism thing, there it was, I think, 1979 where Eight. they finally started mm-hmm. allowing black people in the church. So is that right? Um, the, it was, uh, well, it's now referred to as the priesthood ban. And so you could get baptized, but a black man could not hold the priesthood. If anyone doesn't know, that's, you know, the um, power that uh, men in the religion have to do different um, blessings and ceremonies and healings and um, to be led, you know, by your intuition and to guide your family. Um, and so a black man didn't have access to that. And also a black family, therefore, could not be sealed in the temple, which is, I mean, as most people know, that's a really big thing for Mormons is that you're yeah. an eternal family. And so right. um, African-Americans, yeah, didn't, well, I mean, black people over the wor- all over the world didn't have access to those blessings. So do they have access now? Yeah. So, and in 1978, oh, they did, they did oh, okay. um, lift that, which... Okay. I mean, 
if any, if you need any other proof that it's not necessarily, you know, God's one true church, I would think it would be that because we're talking about decades behind, <laughs> you know, the um, trend as far as civil rights in America goes. Right. I mean, they're pretty much the last mainstream establishment to, you know, lift some of these uh, racist policies. Right. And you would really hope that a church that's so directly led by God would have been, you know, on the forefront of the movement. And the same exact thing goes with um, gay members in the gay community. Why are they still holding on to this? And especially considering all the harm that it's doing to people. And like what I think is, is kind of interesting too, like the beginning, this church hasn't been around that, that long. It's been around for like 150 years, I think. So it was, it started in the 1830s. So okay. You do the okay. math. I'm not. <laughs> that's not my yeah. <laughs> strong suit. We're, we're about 100 years so. mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So, but it started during like the spiritual era in the mm-hmm. United States, where yeah. we had people coming up with all kinds of different religions and all kinds yeah. of spiritualism, um, including you know mediums and um, all kinds of things like that. So it was a very interesting moment mm-hmm. to sort of capitalize on. God. Curiosity, religion. I think, of people's curiosity about God mm-hmm. and religion, and you know, also you know, a certain zeal or enthusiasm about kind of experimenting with new ideas, right. which is um, you know something that I think is pretty cool about this time, and that's, that's why people were you know experimenting with new ways of of doing religion, and right. certainly why I think you know Joseph Smith was able to um, get a stake in the ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And that's a very interesting whole story with him. We don't have enough time to get all into that because that's just a whole thing. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, I mean, he's he's an interesting character, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, very influential in what the religion became. But if anything, what is sort of the most important thing that you learned about yourself because of this religion? Ultimately... I got to the point where I'm very, very independent and um, self-reliant. Mm-hmm. And I I wouldn't have, I don't think, I would not. I will definitively say I would not be as self-reliant as I am today had I, had I stayed in it. And, you know, going along with that, just what I'm capable of overcoming. Because leaving, you know, really left me without anything. And I was able to build a life that I'm extremely proud of today and that I think I should be. Yeah. And, you know, doing it, you know, I had had people come in and out of my life who played important roles, but, you know, ultimately figuring things out on my own is, you know, a gift that's given me so much that right. you know, benefits me every single day. Absolutely. I'm just so glad that you were listening to yourself, even at such a young age, to know something just doesn't feel right here because it is so hard for so many people when they're in such a tight community and you're really being told this is how it is, this is how it is. And we've said this a couple of times too, um, the belief that this is the one true church. Um, in fact, for those of you, you know, who have never been to this church, um, on Sunday there, you know, or what is it like once a month, people get up and like give their testimony of why they know this church is true. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I've been to those things. And sometimes for me, I was like, oh, that's beautiful. Like, but they just said, that's, that's lovely. They feel it. They're great. And sometimes it just felt like they were begging to feel it. And I'm going to convince myself outwardly to you and myself at the same time that this is the one true church because I need it to be because of either doubt or whatever was coming up for them. But it's, you know, you got to just listen to your gut. And I'm so glad that you did. And I'm so glad that you're helping others who have left the church to, you know, just kind of let your brain breathe and let everything kind of straighten out and get all the facts. Because again, you've been gaslit for so long that what seems, I, I used to say this a lot, like, you know, I would, I would look at the sky and be like, the sky is blue. And they would be like, no, it's green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. No, it's blue. I'm literally <laughs> looking at it. It's blue right here. And I'm seeing, mm-hmm. what do you, no, it's green. I'm like, oh my God, it's crazy making. And there's yes, a, a lot of crazy making within this church. And again, it's not every single one. It's not every single person, but it is quite a few. And um, it's just important to, to have support if you're trying to leave. Um, what, 
places can people go check out if they're trying to mm-hmm. leave the church or have left and they need support? Oh, cool. I think the thing that I would say, I am also a big podcast person. And you know what? My favorite podcast and the one that's helped me the most is called Mormon Stories Podcast. It's put on also by an ex-Mormon with a also interesting face transition story named John DeLynn. They are, you know, 1800 episodes in at this point. They have episodes on everything from people's faith transition stories to the history of the church to, um, you know, abuse with in the church, Mormonism, Mormonism and narcissism. And it's, mm-hmm. it's very, it's, it's a very empowering, positive look at how people are thriving after Mormonism. And, you know, which happens to be the name of the nonprofit that I volunteer for is called uh, Thrive After Religion, and which he happens to be a, a board member of. So That's I would amazing. say go and check that out, Mormon Stories podcast. Awesome. That will be in the show link. So you can just go show notes, go check the link out. But yeah, I've actually listened to, that was the podcast that I listened to when I was really struggling in my relationship. I was like, oh my God, it was really nice. And I'm I'm not even Mormon, but it was so nice to hear these stories and to be like, oh, cool. This crazy making, all of this mm-hmm. gaslighting, yeah. I, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And you, and you aren't alone. You know, if anyone's listening, you know, there's a, a huge ex-Mormon community today and I am just absolutely honored to, to be a part of it. And if you even don't have access to that, I mean, there's thriving online communities as well that are very, very supportive that have made a big difference to me, um, especially in the past five years or so. I, there was none of this around when I left. And, but today it, it is really great that so many people have decided we're all going to, you know, band together over yeah. this. Awesome. Well, tell people how they can find you. Uh, the best thing would be to go to my Instagram, which is Janice Formicella. Um, hopefully you can put that in the show notes as well, because I know that's not, you know, the easiest name to spell. <laughs> and then, you know, first and foremost, I'm the host of X-Files podcast. You can also find us on Instagram and you can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And that's yes. a podcast about breakups, broken hearts and moving on. Yes, you guys, I was on the podcast. Was I on the, or did you come on my podcast? What I came do? on yours, but we are oh. going to. Yes, please stay tuned because Jackie's <laughs> going to come on and be a guest co-host for an, a number of episodes. So I'm excited yes. to cross-promote that with you. It's going to be so much fun. Her podcast <laughs> is amazing. Seriously, if you're going through a breakup, go check that out right now. Go at her, go follow her. Thank, Thank you, you, Janice. I'm so glad we got to chat about all of this. I feel energized. I, as you can see, this is something I'm still so passionate about, you know, 20 years later. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it and tell my story. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Remember, sharing is caring. Make sure to rate the podcast and leave a review. We really rely on this to help get the podcast out there. Also, make sure to watch the video version on YouTube at That Girl the Podcast.